Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily. I'm Ala, I'm joined by Marissa. We are both teachers at LSAT Demon, which you can find at lsatdemon.com. Today, we wanted to provide some advice around what to do when your prediction in, isn't in the answer choices. So let's kick things off here um, with a question to the wonderful Marissa. Do you always find your prediction in the answer choices or what's happening here? In a word, no, <laughs> I do not always find my prediction in the answer choices, but that is okay, right? Um, predicting is just a super important tool. It's a super useful tool um, that helps us um, on all sections of the test, but um, particularly, I think we're gonna be talking a little bit more about logical reasoning today. Yes. But um, yeah, you, your prediction is not always gonna be there, but that is totally fine. Uh, and we're gonna tell you a little bit more about why, so. Yep, exactly. So one of the questions we got through um, the LSAT demon email is asked, was asking us about like, what do you do when you make a prediction, right? You do the work in the passage, you attack the passage, you read the question, you see that it's a necessary assumption question. And you're like, all right, I'm going to predict this. I'm going to get this right. And you're diligent and you're doing all the work and you can't find what you predicted in the answer choices. So maybe we can talk a little bit about what prediction as a tool is here, Marissa, before we dive into like why this might be happening or the, you know, the logic behind the question or to understand what to actually do when you're confronted with a prediction that you can't find in the answer choices. Yeah, totally. So um, prediction is a tool that we teach um, here at LSAT Demon. I'm sure we, we both teach it in both our classes. Um, um, I teach a class called prediction mode. And it's focused on sort of using that feature that we have that covers up the answer choices, covers up the question, and sort of forces you to engage with the passage. So prediction really is a way of ensuring that you've drawn out everything that you can from the passage before you take that leap into the question and answer choices, right? So taking that extra second to say, hey, does this even make sense? Like what this passage is saying? Do I agree with this? Is this flawed in some way? What am I looking at? Where's the conclusion? Is this just a set of facts, right? All of those things are things that you want to sort out before you sort of have that wave of the question and answer choices crashing over you, right? Yep, exactly. The way I put it in my classes sometimes is when you're attacking the passage, you don't have a goal in mind except attack the passage. When you read the question, that's when you get to refine your attack, right? Point it towards something, make it work for you as an answer to the question. And that's usually in the form of a prediction. And then when you find the answer choice, that's kind of like the most concentrated version of your attack, right? It's like the thing that you're looking for. So basically what we're talking about is that it's almost like a meditative way of going through the LSAT. And I think that's what we preach here at The Demon, right? We're trying to get you all to see that this makes sense, that this is straightforward. It's not out to get you, but you got to do it in this sort of baby steps way if you're going to mm -hmm. be able to get through it. And Marissa and I, like when we do questions, this is how we do them. Even now as teachers, like we don't, there's just no way we'd be able to teach or get through the stuff that we get through if we weren't taking it on in this meditative state. Right. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I love that. I've never... Um, I've not heard anyone say that before, but I love that. It is, um, you're right. Cause it does, it makes you feel like it's more accessible, right? You're starting from this huge thing and then you're sort of whittling it down, making it more narrow and then sort of going in with this idea. Right. Yep, exactly. But there are answers or there are question types, um, that 
are harder to predict, right? And I think that yep. uh, the person who wrote in was asking specifically about necessary assumption questions. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to um, like what what we do with necessary assumption questions or those kinds of questions that are just trickier to predict. Yep, exactly. So it's like, why does this happen, right? Like, why are we yeah. even in this state where we can't predict a question? So for instance, there are questions that are absolutely like darlings for predictions, right? Sufficient assumption questions. Like not mm -hmm. only is it like made for you to predict, you have to predict if you're going to get through mm -hmm. a sufficient assumption question, right? But there are other question types that have more options available to you is how I would put it, right? There are lots of different answers that would qualify as an answer to that question. So necessary assumption is, for, is one. Thinking also about like strengthen questions. There's probably lots sure. of different things that could strengthen um, an argument, weaken questions, lots of things that could weaken an argument. I mean, it really depends on the question, you know, how mm -hmm. likely you are to find your prediction in the answer choice. I'm also thinking right. about like an RC when they ask you, you know, add a sentence to this passage, right? It's quite a few different things they could add, although all these question types, y'all, they all follow the same sort of, they're looking for the same thing. They're looking for an answer to the question. It's not mm -hmm. like you now have thousands of possibilities to choose from. It's not like that. It's more like you still have to answer the question and your job is to make sure that the answer fits. Um, but the reason why this happens is because there are multiple things. There are many, many things that the author needs in order to be true, you know, to get to their argument, right? And yeah. because there's so much to choose from, it can be a lot to choose from for you for coming up with a prediction. It's not like one straight, like A to B. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more options for you to choose from, which is why you might be stuck in this conundrum, so to speak. Yeah, 100%. And that's the thing, um, like you're, you're hitting on with necessary assumption questions. Like there are so many things that, that there are so many necessary assumptions in any given situation, right? Any given sentence. I always give the example in my classes. Like if I say I'm going to get a beer with my friend, Jamie after work across town, then there are so many things that need to be assumed, right? That there is a place across town to get a beer that I have a way of getting there, that I have a job that I'm going to do this thing afterwards. That you that exist. I have a friend, yeah. That I exist, that I have a friend named Jamie, right? Yes. There's so many things. Yeah. And so like, it might seem overwhelming, but it is good to anchor yourself to some kind of prediction, right? Because that's the muscles that we want you to be flexing. And those are the things that we like, we don't want you to change your approach question to question, right? We don't even know what the question is going to be when we're reading the passage. Yep. We want you to be engaging with the passage in the same way each time so that you're able to bring something to the table. So you're not just sort of lost in this sea of, of answer choices, right? Yep, exactly. And you don't have to panic, right? When your answer, when your prediction is not in the answer choices, that is no reason to feel like your world is ending. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, it's a good reason to think like, hey, I did the work. This isn't going to necessarily match what I predicted, but there are ways around that. And there are ways to think about this in a, in a more helpful format. So maybe we can get a little bit into that, right, Marissa, sort of like yeah. what our individual tools are maybe the things that we teach in classes for what to do when we can't find our prediction. Or, you know, I kind of remind myself of this when I come up against a necessary assumption question that I'm mm -hmm. going to do the work, but it's possible that I'm not going to find my answer. That does tend to lessen the panic when I can't find my answer, you know, in the answer choices. So that's one mm -hmm. good thing to remember, but I'll go through a little bit of like my strategy for what to do in these sort of 
you know, more option questions and maybe you can go through yours a little bit as well. So I always tell my students that you've got two big tools when you're going through questions. And I think I'm going to include RC and LR in this. I don't think there's any reason to distinguish between the two. So this, you've, you've two options. One is your prediction, right? You're going to do the work of coming up with an answer to the question. Now, like Marissa said, that is you flexing your muscles. It's you doing the work of deriving whatever you need to from the passage that would answer this question. One answer. And that's your prediction. You might have a couple of predictions. That's fine too. The second thing that you've got, the second big tool you have when you're going through a question is the question. It's asking you to do something specific. You have a job, right? On a necessary assumption question, your job is to find the thing the author has to agree with. It's got, they have to agree with it if they're going to make their case, right? In an analogy question, you take up whatever happened in the passage and there's a general structure to it. You have to go find the thing that has that general structure or that general like logic behind it, right? So you, the job you have is not always the same as your prediction. A prediction is one rendition of the job you have, right? It's one version of what you're doing on the question. So when your prediction isn't in the answer choices, you just pull out your other tool of I'm in a... You know, I feel like this happens in sufficient assumption questions too, actually, right? I'll have a prediction and it is logically equivalent to the correct answer, but it is not in any way phrased the same way, Mm -hmm. right? And sufficient assumptions for me are like the pinnacle of prediction, right? They are the gold Mm -hmm. star prediction questions. If you have a prediction, you have to do that in order to get it right. Um, But sometimes I will have a prediction and it doesn't match any of the answer choices, but that doesn't matter. I have to be able to see that my job is to find the thing that's going to make this argument win. And even if my prediction is phrased a little bit differently, the correct answer in my prediction are doing the exact same thing. They are answering Mm -hmm. the question in front of me. So if you can keep track of both of those things and use those tools as you need to, um, that'll help a lot. Oftentimes prediction is an easier sort of thing to keep track of because it's just one answer you know, that you're going to find in the answer choices. But the further along you go in a section, I've noticed, I have to rely more and more on this second tool, which is um, what is the question asking me to do? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think, I think you raised some really good points. Um, I think for me, it's similar. And when I'm presented with, you know, a passage, I'm reading it, I'm trying to understand, right. I, I will always make my prediction even before I read the question, because I'm like, if this is if this is flawed, then they might ask me a flaw question, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing I did want to raise was that like your prediction, and I think we've like hinted at this, but if your prediction isn't there, it doesn't mean that it's not a real prediction, right? Because if you are reading a passage that is flawed, yes, they one hundred percent could ask you a flaw question, but they could also ask you a parallel question. Yep, right. So just because they go a different direction with that question, you know the you know, question that they're asking you and the answer choices that they're looking for, that just doesn't mean that your prediction is invalid in any way, right? Yep. So that's another reason not to panic, right? I'm thinking, oh, this is flawed. I understand what the flaw is. I'm thinking it's going to be a flawed question. They asked me a parallel question. Well, all I'm, I, all I need to do is find something that's flawed in the same way. And I've done that work by doing my prediction to find what the flaw is and characterize it for myself. And then I'll be able to see it elsewhere in, in other answer choices, right? Yeah. Um, in just one. Right. 
So I think that that's just one thing, you know, we even see on old tests where they'll use the same passage to ask multiple questions, right? Like that should be just comfort to us, right? We are on the right track. We are using this tool to our advantage and everything like that. Yeah, I guess when I um, am approaching a, a passage, I'll, you know, lean on my prediction. I also think that Allah has raised a really good point in that we should be thinking in this way. And we teach these things like unnecessary assumption questions. What does the author have to agree with on sufficient assumption questions? Does this prove the case, right? So familiarizing yourself with all of the, the things that you're tasked with and reiterating that to yourself, right? When I am reading a passage, I do it with such care. I, you know, I'm rephrasing things. I'm putting it in my own words, et cetera. And then we just have this, this, this very human, very natural feeling of like rushing when we get to mm -hmm. like question and answer choices. Cause it's like, okay, I get it now. What am I supposed to do? Right. You should be reading the question with the same level of care and intensity that you read the path, like that you read the passage yep. with, right? Because you need to, what is the question asking you, right? Mm -hmm. Which of the following blah, 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 blah. That's yep. not how you talk, right? So yep. think about it the way that you would think about it. What are they asking me to do here? What does a correct answer look like here? And yep. then in your answer choices, when you're reading that them with the same scrutiny and rephrasing them, you may even find that your prediction is there just in different clothing, right? Mm -hmm. Your prediction's there, but in this like messed up way that the LSAT likes to talk to us, right? Yeah. So putting it in your own words could make you realize, oh, when they say like, you know, X, Y, Z thing, they just mean exactly what I said, but I said it yep. in the way that humans talk because I am a human and I talk like a human, <laughs> right? So that's, that's my two cents on that. I love that, Marissa. That actually got me thinking about one of the other things that I think we both point out in our classes, which is the power of translating, right? Mm -hmm. You have to put stuff in your own words. And the reason why is, um, I've, these days I've been saying it a lot in class, which is, the passage is sometimes written in like French and the question is yeah. written in Spanish and the answer choices are written in Chinese. That's how it feels sometimes. It really mm -hmm. does, which is why you got to use yourself as the common denominator to get through these. You have to put everything into your own words and then you're doing the work of comparing between your understanding of the passage, your yes. understanding of the question, your understanding of the wrong and or right. Like we don't know which answer choice you're tackling, right? When you're comparing all of that, it's so much easier. The number of students I have worked with that have like pristine predictions at the end of yeah. their questions, like amazing predictions. And then they just sort of like flop down in the yeah. answer choices because what they're doing is they are using the LSAT jargon. Like they're comparing the LSAT jargon from the passage, the LSAT jargon from the question and the LSAT jargon from the correct answer. And that's really hard to compare. And it's really hard to understand through like all the loops and the up and the down. And, you know, I swear it's like me when I watched basketball for the first time, I was like, <laughs> how is this possible? And I know you're like a college level basketball player. So it's was like mind blown. And it gives me so much anxiety when I watch basketball. Cause I'm just like, I, how do you guys do this? Yeah. This is why I prefer baseball. But that's what it feels like when you like have so much going on and it's so much to keep track of. If you can put it into your own words, you are making yourself into a machine, yeah. right? And that's what machines do. They operate in their own language and they get it mm -hmm. all done by comparing like with like, and that's what you have to do. So don't forget that translating is one of your biggest sort of tools, but not, not tool like prediction. It's one of the biggest things that you can do for yourself 
to organize information such that it is valuable and such that it makes sense to you. Yes. Yeah. Right. And if you don't do that, right, exactly. If you don't do that, what you're, what you're setting yourself up for is your prediction may not be as helpful to you. The job, right. That you're tasked with on the question is not that helpful to you. The correct answer, even if you identify it, you're not going to pick it with that much confidence. Cause you're like, I don't know what this is saying. Right. You're not eliminating as aggressively, right? All of these things become a lot, you know, they get put on a lot more shaky ground. If you are not in control, right. Yeah. You've got to be in the driver's seat and, and translating will put you in the driver's seat. I love that you call it translating. I've never, that is such a great, uh, way of thinking about it. Cause that's yep. what it is. Yeah. Yep. That's I fantastic. even tell some of my ESL students, cause I'm from, you know, English is not my first language. I tell um, my students that I used to pretend my mom was like hanging out with me as I'm reading a passage and I have to like convert it and tell her, which I'm going to use a lower level of English for, but I'm still getting everything in the passage. Right. And it would like help me visualize that I can't operate on their terms. I have to make it Mm -hmm. make sense to me. Yeah. Um, And that's how you push through this stuff because you cannot fight the battle on their grounds. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You have to make it make sense for you. You have to bring it into an arena that you can understand. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So what would you say to a student who wants to work on their prediction? Is there any sort of tool that LSAT demon has that would maybe (laughs) lend itself to working on your ability? Well, actually, I feel like you would be a far better person to walk us through like what that is, but I'm going to give a little overview and then turn it over to you. Yeah, sure. Um, So at the demon, we have, um, actually this is, this I'm going to make, I'm going to sound like an old person. I didn't have this back in my day (laughs) when I was studying for the LSAT, (laughs) but the LSAT demon website and the subscription service gives you access to a prediction mode of drilling questions of going through questions. Um, and what you'll be able to do is focus on the passage without getting swept up by the question, without worrying about the answer choices. And it basically covers them up, up for you. And it asks you to take it in this, you know, meditative baby step format where you take in the passage, you break it down, you understand it. Then you click on the question and then you come up with a prediction, right? Prediction mode. You come up with a prediction, for what your answer could be. And then you move into the answer choices to find, you know, what you're looking for. And it basically slows you down with a purpose, which is to get the question right. So Marissa, anything to add there and like, sort of what do you, um, maybe also about like what you think the prediction mode, like gives students an opportunity to learn. Yeah. Um, well, I think you characterized it perfectly. Um, I think that prediction mode just gives you a chance to trust yourself and your own understanding, right? I've interacted with students who have said like, oh, well, you know, I don't know if this is flawed or not. I'm like waiting for the answer choice to say the flawed reasoning or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, no, like trust yourself to know if this is a flawed argument or not, right? Trust yourself to understand like what is going on in this situation, what they might be able to ask you, those kinds of things, right? I think prediction mode is just like such a valuable tool because you don't even know how quickly you're flying through some of this stuff, you know, and that level of accountability, I feel like doesn't exist when you're studying by yourself. Right. And so unless you're sitting there reading out loud to somebody else and they're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Right. No <laughs> one's going to tell you to slow down. Yeah. So I have to like, I will plug prediction mode all the time forever because it is just like, it's just a great tool to have in your pocket to yeah. just, yeah, like it, 
learn how to trust yourself, learn how to make solid, strong predictions. Um, and like, yeah, just learn how to engage with the passage in a way that's beneficial. So yeah, that's all I'd say. Yep. The way I, I used to think about it. And I, I say this to my students now, and I'm certainly guilty of it. And from my own early LSAT journey is like, there's speed bumps all along the way in getting questions and getting through passages and the students that don't predict and the students that are going way too fast, they're like flying through (laughs) the speed bumps. Like they're hitting them and then going like into the air for multiple (laughs) seconds before they come back down. Right. And they're not noticing, like they just don't have like, they're not, they don't have sensors for that kind of shock. Yeah. Right. And they don't notice until they're like, you know, into 15 questions and they're like, Oh no, like something's not right here. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, in tutoring, I feel like, and, you know, in class and things like that, when, when we know now, because, you know, we've been yeah. doing this, uh, but we'll hear someone read and we're like, whoa, whoa. whoa like, right. it literally yeah, feels like to... a getaway car. Like we're like, whoa, slow down. Where yep. are you it's going? Like a getaway like, car. Yeah. It's like, you don't need to, we're like, relax, right. you know? Right. Would cops even like chase a car, like <laughs> after a bank robbery, if it was like driving like grandma, probably not. Right. And that's how <laughs> exactly. we drive the car on L- on like, the LSAT, right? Suspicious. We stop yeah. at every stop sign. We slow down at every <laughs> speed bump, right? We yeah. drive like 15 miles an hour when we could be driving 25 miles an hour. Um, But the thing is, it allows us to get to the end with confidence. It allows us to get, I honestly feel like towards the end of my prep, it became meditation for me because I was doing it with the rhythm of understanding, of processing, of being able to take the LSAT in, you know, as the expert. And I think this confidence thing you brought up, Marissa, is super important here, right? Because that's what sometimes I feel like students lose when they don't find their prediction in the answer choices. Cause they yeah. kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. They're like, all right, yeah. my prediction's out, my confidence out, there's goes my self-worth. Right. And they just like start right. checking everything. Like it's an emergency. And I'm actually weirdly remember this is, I think the best opening in the office where Dwight has the f- starts a fire to test them on safety. Yes. Right. And then Michael throws like a scanner, like out the window and Kevin's like <laughs> breaking open the, the vending machine, which we don't know why. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm reminded of that. Cause I think that's the mode that students go in, even though there's no threat, they like their alarm bells start going off and everything's a disaster. Um, yeah. and we start freaking out and we just have to take a breath and like, understand that there's nothing going on here. Your prediction doesn't work out, but that doesn't mean that you didn't do the work to understand the passage. And that's maybe the note we want to end on here. Right. Marissa, that like prediction is a fantastic tool tool. Please don't stop predicting, right? Keep doing it. It's really, really important. Even on those questions where predictions aren't necessarily going to like serve you, like as in provide you with the correct answer, even on those questions, we implore you to keep predicting because Prediction isn't just a prediction thing. Prediction means that you are engaging with the question. You are doing the work that we're asking you to do that ultimately will lead you to success. Yes, absolutely. And the very last thing I'll say is just that people ask me, what about the time it takes to predict? And what about the time it takes to do all this? And time, I guess the the existential threat that, you know, (laughs) is that you're referring to people would maybe insert time as that threat. And it's really not our, right? Like, even if it means making solid predictions, going through at this grandma pace, whatever, and attempting 20 out of 27 questions and getting 20 right, that is 
accuracy over speed all day long, right? That is a yep. recipe for success. And yep. when those skills, you know, get more, more and more improved, then the time comes with it. So the amount of time that predicting takes is an investment, just like building worlds and games or reading well on RC is. So do not, time is not your enemy here, right? Spending the time to truly understand something is worth it all the time in the end. I love that investment, right? Return on investment. There's a huge return on investment for predicting. I couldn't have put it better myself. Um, so we'll end things there. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks, Marissa, for doing this podcast with me. I'm really excited to have two melanin people on a podcast together. <laughs> I feel like this is our first one together, and I'm so excited. Um, yeah. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or admissions news. Um, thank you so much for listening. We hope it helped.